It was easy for all of us to disappear. My house was in my mother-in-law's name. My cars were registered to my wife. My social security cards and driver's licenses were phonies. I never voted. I never paid taxes. My birth certificate and my arrest sheet. That's all you'd ever have to know I was alive. See him here in the courtroom today? Yes. Could you please point him out to the members of the jury? Your Honor, please let the record reflect that Mr. Hill has identified the defendant, James Conway. Mr. Hill, do you also know a man by the name of Paul Cicero? Yes. Do you see him here in the courtroom today? Yes. Can you point him out for the members of the jury? Your Honor, let the record reflect that Mr. Hill has identified the defendant, Paul Cicero. Your Honor, I have a document that I'd like to have marked. See, the hardest thing for me was leaving the life. I still love the life. And we were treated like movie stars with muscle. We had it all just for the asking. Our wives, mothers, kids, everybody rode along. I had paper bags filled with jewelry stashed in the kitchen. I had a sugar bowl full of coke next to the bed. People call them rats because a rat will do anything to survive. Isn't that right, Mr. Hill? Chris Gowser here with Matt Howell. And on What's this your call I'm, sign, my call sign, um, the millionaire. <laughs> I don't even know what my call sign would be. What's something sad but still slightly funny? Sad but still slightly. The panda. The panda. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Now that I've interrupted your intro, yeah. Matt, what do you got for us? Well, on this episode of the first run. Uh, we break out the Aviators and Kenny Loggins for the sequel of that Tom Cruise volleyball movie, Top Gun Maverick. Uh, then we head to Taiwan for the extreme horror riff on the crazies, The Sadness. Not Sadness. That's a different movie. It's The Sadness. The The article is very important. Um, mm-hmm. As always, we'll break down the physical media releases and the DVD streaming, well, DVD slash streaming picks of the week. Then we'll wrap up the show with our top five childhood pop culture crushes, which I'm not sure how I feel about that. So, well, this will be an interesting discussion. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Did you have like a big crush on Kelly McGillis or something? Tom Cruise? And you really wanted to talk about this? Well, I think it just fits because Top Gun, and we'll get into this when we talk about the movie, was a massive cultural event in this country. Mm -hmm. And a lot of crushes, maybe a lot of them started with Risky Business. But still, I think Tom Cruise really blew into the stratosphere with uh, Top Gun, and it inspired a lot of things and just made me nostalgic for my youth, right? Going back to 1986. So, I don't know, just kind of inspired me for that. All right. Well, stay tuned for that, folks, because that's going to be an interesting discussion. But first, let's hear a little bit more from Top Gun Maverick. Here we go. In three, two, one... What do we have here? Yeah, here I thought we were special. Fellas, this here's Bagman. Hangman. Whatever. What the hell kind of mission is this? Everyone here is the best there is. Who the hell are they going to get to teach us? Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell. Let me be perfectly blunt. You are not my first choice. You are here at the request of Admiral Kazansky, AKA Iceman. He seems to think that you have something left to offer the Navy. What that is, I can't imagine. With all due respect, sir, I'm not a teacher. Just want to manage expectations. Great jumping off point, Matt. It's been 36 years. Well, 35. It was supposed to come out last year, right? Mm-hmm. So, delayed due to the pandemic, but Top Gun Maverick is finally here Uh the long-awaited sequel to one of the biggest films of the 1980s and i gotta admit matt as we discussed last week i took me a very long time to see top gun all the way through Mm -hmm. and i would call myself underwhelmed i thought it was fine but more of a time capsule than this great cinematic achievement though tony scott 
was a legend, so I'm not besmirching him at all. So I went in managing my expectations, mm-hmm. Matt. Was that the right thing for me to do? I think so. So, I mean, first, let me break it down. I mean, not that you really need a whole lot of intro to what this is about, but basically, mm-hmm. something needs blowing up. It's super dangerous. They got to use mm-hmm. fighter pilots to do it. So they got to get the best one out there to teach those other young Top Gun whippersnappers how to accomplish an impossible mission. Wow, I like how you combine two franchises there. Nicely done. <laughs> yeah, I know. I have some skills sometimes. So uh, this always kind of blew my mind. And, and one of the uh, we actually got to see this uh, film with uh, Chris Esposito and in person with each other for like the first time in a long time. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was a little first run reunion. It was, but he and I were both baffled that Mr. 80s, Mr. Uh, Foreigner, Labyrinth, loves Arnold Schwarzenegger, would ask him to be his best man if he thought he would say yes kind of thing, had not seen Top Gun, which absolutely blows our mind as one of these kind of pinnacle, like the most 80s of 80s movies, right? And like such a big cultural force in 1986 when Chris was probably in his... Early 11s. to mid teens of my 11s. Was it your 11s? Okay. 75. 75. 86. Okay. So this seemed like really like right in Chris's wheelhouse, right? And, you know, obviously he's gone on record just a few minutes ago saying that he was underwhelmed with the, with the, the original film. I mean, I was. God, how old was I when I came out? That was seven when the original Top Gun came out. So um, mm-hmm. I had fonder memories of it. It's stupid, but I still enjoy it as a piece of kind of 80s history with this it's equal parts cheesiness and 80s throwback coupled with some of the most amazing action sequences involving fighter planes that i have ever seen in my life as good as the mission impossible franchise has been with the last like four or five entries somehow they pull off an even greater feat watching these things unfold and the the fighter jet scenes are just absolutely exhilarating and it was so much fun to watch them the kind of rest of it around it is kind of hit or miss at points Mm -hmm. but i think it hits enough in those other points that when you couple it with those kind of as cheesy as the sounds, pulse pounding uh, fighter jet scenes. I think you come up with a, a film that's better than its original kind of cultural touchstone and all. I'm inclined to agree that it's better than the original. So I do have a question though, when I was watching this thing, so there's a whole opening intro where we get to see where captain Pete uh, Mitchell Maverick, what he's been doing, Mm -hmm. right? He's testing this new supersonic stealth bomber type thing. That's supposed to break Mach 10, Mm -hmm. right? That's what he's going for. And the whole thing is that the general in charge of the program wants to get his funding to pour it into drones. And I know there's a whole thing in the movie, Matt, about how it's not the the box, it's the the pilot in the box, Mm -hmm. right? Is what makes the difference. But given all the parameters of this mission, wouldn't a drone have been a better choice? Yeah, that's interesting. Um... You think somebody like uh, sitting behind who's really good at Call of Duty flying this thing over the mountain? Yeah, it could have. It, it might have been. Smaller? Yeah. Being able to maneuver more easily? Yeah. It's a good question. And I if it know. gets blown up as it goes over the ridge, so what? It's a drone. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Hell, you could send like 75 drones out there and they can all fly under the radar and just hope one of them gets there, I suppose. Maybe they weren't fast enough? I really don't know why they didn't go with drones. Glad they did. To the point I'm... I'm bringing this up because A, it's been bothering me about that. And B, I came to like a moment of clarity, man. Okay. It doesn't matter. Right. That's not what this movie is about. This movie is, I think, the traditional summer blockbuster done right. Even with all its jingoism, with all its right wing slant, it's it's not a blunt instrument with this stuff. I mean, if you think about it, we brought I talked to you about this after we walked out. We kind of broke our rule because we were in person, mm-hmm. though we were danced around things. We didn't talk about this in detail. Clearly, they're going to start World War Three <laughs> against whomever this unnamed enemy is. Right. I never talk about it. Someone just enriching uranium for nuclear weapons purposes. Mm-hmm. 
and this is clearly an act of war. So I think it's interesting that they never even touch on that. I think smartly, because again, none of that matters. We have a simple, clear mission that only Tom Cruise and his gang of trustworthy misanthropes can handle that. <laughs> this is the only way that can be done. And we take the movie that defined a generation and an era, a movie that inspired tens of thousands, not hundreds of thousands, one of my best friends at the time to try and be a fighter pilot. Yeah. He was so enamored with the movie. And it somehow captures the magic of the original and surpasses it, right? So it's still charming, if not more so than the original, because it's not as... When the original with Tom Cruise's arrogance in the role, that's the whole part of the character, right? Right. But there's a much more lived-in, centered version of that character now because he's matured, he's older, or whatever. It's still a bit of the pro-military propaganda, but that's fine. That's just what you can expect with this kind of stuff. Still slightly homoerotic, which I appreciated, which is good. <laughs> I do miss the fact that Cruise still had his unibrow back in those days, which is something he has since gotten rid of. But... Um, it's great. It's a lot of fun. I think it has its weak points, like you you stated. I think that like one of the things it improves on is like the the final act. Right. In the original film, we have our dog fight, but that's pretty much it. Right. Right. This time, they expand on that behind enemy lines, and then this really ridiculous yeah. plot device about how they're able to get away, and then. You know, how he has to fight with this anachronistic kind of fighter right. against these new souped-up jets that belong to some country. We right. don't really know who. Right. But uh, still, it's a lot of fun. And it also does some really smart, interesting things, too. I have had some issues lately with Miles Teller. He plays Son of Goose. He is Rooster in this. And I love the dynamic between him and Mitchell, between him and Cruz, where he blames him for his father's death. Mm-hmm. Now, I think it's interesting how we don't really talk about it all, that Iceman is probably just as equally responsible for Goose's death as right. anybody else, but right. that's fine. We can, <laughs> we can table that. Right. Um, I think, though, that relationship with the two and the two of them is handled well in this film. And I want to compliment Jennifer Connelly as well as Penny, who makes a sort of return, mm-hmm. right? Because she is, and I didn't realize this, it was you and Espo who pointed it out to me. She has basically, she's a name drop in the original film. Right as uh, they are told that they're going to Top Gun. so But we expand upon that, and I think her portrayal as this single mom is very grounded and rooted and done very well. The relationship she has with her daughter, the relationship she has with Cruz, and as that develops, all well done. Everything is just, it's just, it's good. Yeah, It is a good, fun, entertaining movie, and I, I had some fun with it. Like I said, it has its dips. Some of it is kind of... Uh, but overall, rock solid, man. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I mean, there are certain points in this where you will roll your eyes at how cheesy it is. And, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. they went there. I mean, they fulfilled Archer's, uh, Sterling Archer's dream of playing Danger Zone as they flew off the uh, the end <laughs> of a uh, aircraft carrier. And that all that stuff happens. But they make enough nods to the original to kind of show you, yeah, we understand this kind of thing that we're messing with at the same time. They improve upon the formula. It really is a heck of a lot better. And I will say that I like to think that if they're going on this blowing up mission, Mm -hmm. I think they know enough to where they're attacking somebody who can't realistically start World War III. Because, you know, they're not flying into China to do this, right? So this is probably like North Korea. This is like Iran or something, you know? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Goddamn Iran's. It's Iran's. The problem I think we have with that is then why would this country have the defenses it does with those SAMs um, all the way around this area? And then this cutting-edge, top-of-the-line fighter jets that are better than the jets supposedly that the uh, U.S. Navy has. Well, to be Iran f- is not going to have those jets. I don't think right. North Korea certainly is not going to have those jets. Right, but if it's China or it's Russia, they're not going to have like four of them, and that seems to be like all they had. They're going to have like a dozen, Fair. dozens Fair. of these things. And, and here's the thing: 
that was all kind of manufactured. It's the Navy has dozens, hundreds of of you know what they call what do they call them? Uh, Next generation like fighters, fifth generation fighters. They have yeah. we have more of those than anybody. So I there's no reason they couldn't have put them in those planes if they wanted to. That's true, and we have spent trillions of dollars on a jet that still isn't really to fly. But right. that's fine. <laughs> Well, there's the Whatever. there's the next one below Priorities. it. That's you know, okay. that, you know, that's 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 Generation Six. This we're, we saw plenty of Generation Five. Okay, yeah. So I don't know. I guess that's just some um, some nerd talk where we have to talk through the hypotheticals of this uh, of this action film that makes no sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think about bringing Iceman back? I think they handled that respectfully and well. Yeah, it was pretty good. And I read that actually. That's. I guess spoiler alert: the voice that he uses is AI generated because Val Kilmer can't speak at all. Man, nah. so, uh, but I didn't realize that part of the way the reason he got the way he did is because he's a Christian scientist and he refused medical treatment for too long. I was not aware of that. Yeah, basically was convinced he could his faith and his prayer would heal him until it got to a point where he's like, I guess this isn't working, so we'll have to do something about it which saved his life but he didn't save his voice that's too bad i'm sorry to hear that Oof, way to bring the room down um <laughs> so we talked about call signs did if did they choose their own call signs typically i don't even yeah, know i have no I idea know. i really don't know if there's any naval aviators out there um who want to tell us if you chose your own call sign please is it like full metal jacket where the drill sergeant like you know assigns the call sign to you based on your personality yeah, I don't know. Feedback at thefirstrun.com. That would be good information now. So one of the issues that really bothered me, Matt, when we walked out of this thing was the lack of a cover, at least, of Berlin's Take My Breath Away, right? Or actually written by Giorgio Moroder. So let's give proper respect. It's due. But um, so I did some research on that. And I guess it makes sense to me. So the director, Joseph Kaczynski, basically stated that, well, that was a relationship between Tom Cruise and Kelly McGill's character. Gotcha. song. Gotcha. So that's why they didn't want to reuse it because this is a different relationship. So I guess that's fine. I think Gaga's fine, song is fine. Yeah. I it don't think it has the power that uh, Berlin's does. Mm. I don't know if power is the right term, but it's certainly not as catchy. Sure. And it doesn't permeate the film as much or as obviously <laughs> as yeah. Take My Breath Away does the original. There's also no, there's also no, we do get Danger Zone, but we don't get playing with the boys, which I thought was a travesty. Yeah, and there is a, a football game on the beach. I know, but there's no Kenny Loggins soundtracking the football game, which is inappropriate. Missed opportunity, I guess we can say, to be polite about it. It is. And I love, too, I don't know if you were on film Twitter specifically or just Twitter generally today, but a, young, a new generation has begun to f- discover a 1990s Jennifer Connelly. Mm. And I, somebody tweeted out, and I think I retweeted or liked it, I've never been as old, felt as old as I do now when people talking about Jennifer Connelly being attractive. Right. And I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. It, there's the big one, too. I think Lee Winnell, you know, the director, I, he worked on Saw, and he did um, the Invisible Man remake mm-hmm. and some other stuff. And he, he hit it right on the head, too. He goes, basically, there are images of Jennifer Connelly seared into the minds of some of us, particularly from the movie... Uh, the Hot Spot, which I think was directed by Dennis Hopper, featuring Dennis, Dennis, excuse me, Don Johnson. And he said, respectfully, because I had a already creepy, I'm not going to post the picture from Hot Spot that everybody is familiar with. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's funny. It's weird. I feel at the same time kind of nostalgic and like, oh, welcome aboard. Yeah, yeah. Jennifer Connelly has been a smoke show for 40 years now. Welcome, welcome aboard. And also at the same time, man. It's it's been a long time. I'm getting old. Yeah, it has. But I mean, she was in a movie. She was in Alita: Battle Angel. I mean, people saw that. It's weird that this is the thing that's really kind of propelling her back into the conversation. Yeah, that is kind of odd. I don't know. I guess maybe Alita didn't have as big an impact as the Alita troops uh, thinks it has. Right. So that fandom, that's. Oof. But uh, yeah. So. Hey, I guess it more to work for Jennifer Connelly. Good, good, good enough. Works for me, Matt. I don't know. I think that that might be it. It's I don't. It's I really I feel though young people walking out of this one who have not seen the first one or or just you know are in their twenties now. Yeah. 
do not have the appreciation for the impact that that original film had. Yeah. It was, I think, I don't know, I don't think we're doing enough justice. I'm serious. How big a cultural touchstone that film was in this country. It at that was, time. it was so big that they started putting military recruiters in the movie theaters because people would come out so jazzed up at like wanting to join yeah. the Navy. Like that's how, that's how crazy people were about this movie. Incredible stuff. So Matt, I'm going to give Top Gun Maverick a B plus. Um, I think I liked it more than you, but I also liked the original film more than you. So I'm going to give it an A minus. I think the, those, those action sequences and that kind of throwback to a, a different kind of action film it's just it's just too much fun. Yeah, the way they shot this stuff with the the fighter pilots and the dogfights, all of that stuff, you really feel like you're in that cockpit with Cruz and the rest of them. And I got to tell you, folks, Dolby this shit up. Mm-hmm. All right, it looked and sounded incredible in that Dolby theater. Quite an experience. So yeah, the classic big summer blockbuster is back, folks, at least for a little while. And I want to talk touch quickly. I was reading um, a Phil Noble, who's the uh, editor or publisher of Fangoria. Um, he had a little tweet thread today that I found really interesting and really cleared a couple things up for me, too. Why Maverick is, he thinks, and I may agree with him, is better than No Time to Die. Okay. This is what you do with a character that's this kind of beloved uh, and this kind of a franchise, and I'll say franchise, there's only two movies, but a couple video games as well. And again, the cultural impact. Sure. And how it ends it right. The ending of Maverick is done really well because you have your hero, and I don't know how spoiler we're going to get, kind of walks off into the sunset type of a thing, right? Yeah. There's, there isn't a really tragic, morose ending in this film yeah. like there is with No Time to Die. And I think part of the issue with No Time to Die too is that I think Craig was only going to come back if they killed him off at the end. He right. wanted a real closure there. And the more I think about it, I think the more that works to that film's detriment. Right. I know it adds a sense of finality to his run. Yeah. But it didn't need to happen. And in a weird way, it's almost like the antithesis of that entire series is having Bond die. The more I think about it. Yeah, it really is. I was. I mean, I'm really surprised they went that way. Um, just because you can't like. There are constants like James Bond never dies. Like he just keeps getting changing. He's like Doctor Who. He just regenerates into somebody different for a few <laughs> films. Um, so yeah, that, I don't know why they chose to go that way. It was the wrong decision. Yeah, I don't know. And I'm really hoping when they reboot now that they, and I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but they go a bit of the Roger Moore route. Mm. I want more traditional adventures where he's actually on a mission and not going rogue like all the mission impossible movies yeah i think he's been on one legit mission right and the rest of him have all been he had to go rogue for some reason or another (laughs) i don't know i just want to kind of have that sense kind of brought back to it not over the top cheesy but fun kind of mission driven spy movies because i felt the need somehow to work in james bond to talk about top gun maverick so anyway, no, I just thought it was an interesting thing that Noble had picked up on, is that that's how you you cap off a run of something. Yeah. Now, I think they're talking about possibly making more Top Gun movies. I guess there's the idea of it, yeah. but... I mean, I guess, um, you know, this it's thing... It's a massive success. Yeah, this thing made a huge amount of money. I mean, I don't know who they follow. Rooster? Phoenix? Hangman? Um, who knows? John Hamm? He gets in the. He takes off his admiral, his admiral stars, and gets back in the cockpit. I don't know. Um, Could be. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it, it would smack to me of a cash grab, and I don't know if I would be as excited for it. But I think they should just leave it alone. I think they ended it. Uh, it was a franchise that I didn't know I wanted, and it's 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 great. Yeah, I read too, putting my notes together, that I guess Scott was actually working on a sequel in 2012. Oh, was he? Wow. And they had approached Cruz and Kilmer about coming back, and they were moving forward with it. He had because he had half written the script, and they were, you know, yeah. But then, right, Scott killed himself, right, unfortunately. So that was that. All right, folks, I like to really just close the door on any happiness as quickly as possible. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Top Gun Maverick? Just an email at feedback at the first run dot com. Matt, coming up on physical media this upcoming Tuesday, a lot of stuff. 
a lot of stuff. So we're going to barrel through this. There is one big new movie that's coming out. The Northman Matt is getting its physical release. Right. But that's not. Yeah, but I'm not going to pull the clip for The Northman. Instead, I'm going to play a clip from one of the more interesting and possibly funniest, absurdest comedy movies you may never have seen. Clifford, I'm trying to tell you something about when I was a little boy growing up in Chicago. All right? There was a great amusement park called Riverview. Did your father tell you about it? Yes. I thought that was the only place where a boy like me could be happy. But my father never took me there. And then one day, they tore it down before I ever got to go there. I understand how you feel, Clifford. You do? Yes. Does it ever get easier, my Uncle Martin? Not really. So that, of course, is a clip from Clifford featuring Martin Short, Charles Grodin, Mary Steenburgen as well. Matt, have you ever seen Clifford? No, I haven't, actually. So it kind of bombed, I think, when it first came out back in 94. I think it was shot in 1990 and then got shelved after Orion Pictures ran into some financial problems. But Martin Short plays like a young little boy mm. who terrorizes his family. And there's a scene, that scene continues, and Grodin's like, if you just look at me, look at me like a normal boy, like a human boy. And Short is looking at him like, making these weird faces, and it's just... Look it up on YouTube, folks. It is so bizarre, and that's what you're in for if you watch Clifford. And that's getting released on Blu-ray this upcoming Tuesday, June 7th. It's not for everybody, but uh, for people like me, uh, we're fans of the Cliffords. We had to talk about the Northman Matt coming out. Includes commentary by Robert Eggers, some deleted and extended scenes, and a bunch of making of featurettes. You picking up that UHD? Yeah, I'm going to get it eventually. Good for you. The Contractor is coming out featuring Chris Pine, Ben Foster, Gillian Jacobs, and Eddie Marzen. This is the one. I think Pine's got two movies out right now. One is on Prime. I think one's on Hulu. Okay. Maybe Netflix. This is the one where he plays a uh, involuntary discharged Marine who joins one of those uh, paramilitary organizations. He, you know, one of those work for hire mercenary type things. Mm -hmm. And he finds out some dirty stuff. IFC Midnight is releasing The Feast. Film in Welsh. The picture follows a young woman serving privileged guests at a dinner party in a remote house in rural Wales. The assembled guests do not realize, Matt, they're about to eat their last supper. Pausing for dramatic effect. <laughs> Sony Pictures Classics is releasing compartment number six. As a train weaves its way up to the Arctic Circle, two strangers share a journey that will change their perspective on life. Independent Film Channel is releasing Catch the Fair One. A former champion boxer embarks on the fight for her life when she goes in search of her missing sister. Grasshopper Films is releasing the Academy Award-nominated documentary Ascension. The absorbingly cinematic Ascension explores the pursuit of the Chinese dream. This observational documentary presents a contemporary vision of China that prioritizes productivity and innovation above all. Matt, you've been wondering, staying up at night, what has Sam Worthington been doing? You, you know, I was just thinking that. Please tell me. So he stars with Lena Headey in Nine Bullets, about a burlesque dancer who must go on the run to save a neighbor boy whose life is threatened by her ex-lover. I'm assuming Lena is the dancer, not Sam Worthington, but I don't know. Maybe. Do your thing. Yeah. Could be. Film Rise is releasing Marvelous in the Black Hole. A teenage delinquent befriends a surly magician, played by Rhea Perlman, who helps her navigate her inner demons and dysfunctional family with a sleight-of-hand magic. Sniper's Eye... Uh, which is the subtitle for the movie Fortress, featuring Jesse Metcalf, Chad Michael Murray, and Bruce Willis. It's a sequel, I think, to another Fortress movie. They probably just shot them back to back. But again, one of the final films by Bruno. New to Blu-ray, Matt Criterion is releasing The Tales of Hoffman with a previously completed 4K restoration. Now, this is a Blu-ray, not a UHD, though it's got a 4K restoration. And I am at a point in my life if I see 4K restoration, I am not buying the Blu-ray. Yeah. I'm waiting for the UHD because I think it is eventually coming. Okay. So we'll see how long I hold off on that. I'll see how I can... Uh, I, I I got a Collateral today. I bought it off of Amazon. It was like 11 bucks in UHD. Really? I'm surprised. I have never owned it. I'm surprised because you didn't... I didn't think you were very impressed with that film. I watched it again on HBO or something like that a couple years ago and... 
I've turned the corner on it. Okay. I uh, I do enjoy it a little more now. I think Cruise is great in it either yeah. way. So Tales of Hoffman includes audio commentary from 1992 by Martin Scorsese. Uh, interview with filmmaker George A. Romero from 2005. The Sorcerer's Apprentice, a short musical film based on Johann Wolfgang von Goethe's story directed by Michael Powell and more. Movie, a um, movie, Matt. Or how about Matt, a movie that hasn't been released on Blu-ray up to this point. I've never seen it, but I've always heard good things. It turned it into a Broadway play. Again, not available on Blu-ray until now. Kinky Boots, featuring Joel Edgerton, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Sarah Jane Potts, Nick Frost, and more. Matt, have you ever seen the Kinky Boots? I haven't. I've, I've heard of it. And actually, I saw it on like a list of on-demand titles somewhere, so... Fair. It's supposed to be really good, yeah. and I've uh, never, never seen it. It's about a drag queen who comes to the rescue of a man who, after inheriting his father's shoe factory, needs to diversify his product if he wants to keep his business afloat. MVD Rewind is releasing The Fabulous Baker Boys. This is the movie with Jeff Bridges, Bo Bridges, and, of course, the luminous Michelle Pfeiffer. Get a uh, brand-new high-definition transfer on that audio commentary by the writer-director, uh, another audio commentary by the director of photography, an isolated music and effects score, and some archival behind-the-scenes featurettes as well as some deleted scenes. MVD is also releasing Noah Baumbach's Highball. There's a new feature-length documentary on the making of that. Synapse. Oh, Synapse, you sneaky, cheeky little <laughs> SOBs. They're releasing The Living Dead at the Manchester Morgue in a regular edition. Now, here's the thing. They released this movie, Matt, in the limited edition steelbook about three years ago and charged you $80 for it and said people asked are you ever going to put a regular edition for that and they said basically I'm basically quoting this we have no plans to do that when Matt at this time Mm -hmm. so a lot of people bought it thinking this is the only way they're going to get it right now there's the non steelbook version that is going to be a standard edition and to make things worse Matt is it includes Say it with me now, an exclusive new 4K restoration. So, this is a British kind of zombie movie, and I've never seen it. It's supposed to be pretty good, not great. Includes 2D audio commentaries, a uh, feature on the restoration, a uh, extension feature length documentary about the director, Jorge Grau, and some more stuff. But again, you may feel cheated, if you bought the Steelbook, but there's also a chance there could be a 4K release coming down the road as well. A few John Hughes associated films as well as directed by him movies come out, coming out. She's Having a Baby featuring Kevin Bacon and Elizabeth Govern. I remember watching this and really liking it. It was the first time I heard um, Kate Bush's A Woman's Work. Okay. So uh, a film, a film, a song that wrecks me to this day whenever I hear it. Uh, also being released as some kind of wonderful Featuring audio commentary by the director, Howard Dutch, and Leah Thompson. Oh, is Leah on my crush list? She certainly should be. And then uh, Pretty in Pink is getting re-released as well. Matt Grease 2 is getting its Blu-ray release. The Mexican, by directed by Gore Verbinski, is being released. This is that Brad Pitt, Julia Roberts movie. And they're also releasing Verbinski's The Weatherman, the Nick Cage movie. Scorpion is finally releasing a standard edition of the Charles Bronson film, The Mechanic. They're also putting out The Heavenly Kid from 1985 as a previously remastered disc on that one. They're also putting out a previously remastered disc of Dario Gento's adaptation of The Phantom of the Opera. What else we have here? Kino Lorber's putting out Savage Sisters with a 2K restoration and a brand new audio commentary, as well as Stunt Rock with a brand new 4K restoration. And Kino is continuing their film noir series. It's volume seven, Matt, which includes The Boss, Chicago Confidential, and The Fear Makers. And you get 2K Masters for the Boss and the Fear Makers, as well as two new audio commentaries for those. There is a Martin Short double feature coming out, Cross My Heart and Pure Luck. Full Moon Features is releasing Gore in Venice, directed by Mario Landi. Now, this was previously released by Scorpion, and I bought it off of Diabolic DVD. It's kind of a really sleazy, uh, giallo film. Like, kind of low rent, lots of, yeah, just gross but fun stuff <laughs> and uh full moon's now got a copy of it with the uh, remastered from the best available elements and it has a full uncut version of the film but this one i believe is missing the audio commentary that's included on the now unavailable 
version from Scorpion. Troma is releasing Combat Shock. And then Forbidden Zone from 1980 featuring Herve Velazquez is coming out, Matt. The bizarre and musical tale of a girl who travels to another dimension through the gateway found in her family's basement. UHD releases. There is a brand new Bourne set. All the Bourne movies coming out in UHD. As well as a steel book. But wait. Still no new transfers. This is just an anniversary uh, reboxing. Now, I bought the UHD set because I only owned them on DVD, and then I only owned the three of them on DVD previously. The problem is they're DNR to death. They look kind of, you know, waxy and stuff, unfortunately. And I, But I only paid like 28 bucks for it, so I feel fine with that decision. And then also being released in 4K, Bridge on the River Kwai, and then Lawrence of Arabia. Your straight-to-DVD pick of the week, Matt. I'm going to go with Eraser Reborn. U.S. Marshal Mason Pollard, 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 specializes in, air quotes, Matt, erasing people, faking the deaths of high-risk witnesses. When the technological advance of the last 20 years, or 25 years, the game is upgraded. There's just another day at the office when he's assigned to Rini Kumara, a crime boss's wife who's decided to turn state's evidence. As the two flee to Cape Town, South Africa, with a team of merciless assassins on their trail, Pollard, 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 discovers he's been set up, Matt. Double-crossed and fueled by adrenaline and caffeine and probably some cocaine. He needs to be at the top of his game or he'll be the one who's erased permanently. <laughs> Did you ever see the original Eraser with Schwarzenegger? Of course you have. Uh, with the rail gun? Remember they had the rail yeah, gun? Yeah, I remember that. I remember that was like good the stuff. tale of Arnie's powers. Like people were yeah. really trying to force that this was a good movie and it was not. You know, no. I, I remember all of the... Uh, the <laughs> Oh, man. The sixth day. Yeah, he's like, he's all, uh, he's back, man. Eraser's awesome. He's really back to form. And, ooh, not good. Not James Conn is the bad guy in that original one, too. Yeah, all that stuff is, reminds me of, like, a lot of David Bowie's, like, 80s output, 90s output, where they always say, the best thing since Scary Monsters <laughs> every time a new album comes out. Does that seem the best thing since Terminator 2? Right. Anyway, what should we be streaming this week? All right, so it's no secret that I am not a fan of the Star Wars prequels. I dare say that they are worse than the sequels, which have their detractors, which I think is fair in some instances. I'm going back and forth on that now. I could be pushed either way. What? You think that the sequels are worse than the prequels? I'm wondering. The Last Jedi is strong out of those six films. Mm -hmm. I think is the best. Yeah. But Rise of Skywalker is really bad. Yeah. And whatever the first one's called again. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. I think because Last Jedi is pretty solid, even though it doesn't belong with the rest of those, because it completely throws everything off the the rails. Thanks, Ryan Johnson. <laughs> and The Force Awakens has some really powerful moments in it, like the death of Han Solo is is really well done. I think. Whereas yeah. I think across the board, the prequels are just kind of cheesy and poorly acted and poorly written and. I just can't get on board with those. Um, I, I still think the prequels are worse than the, than the sequels. Although I don't think the sequels are particularly good. That being said, hmm. Ewan McGregor has reprised his role as Obi-Wan Kenobi in the new Disney Plus series, Obi-Wan. And I've seen the first two episodes. I haven't seen the third one that came out the other day. But the first two episodes are really, really good. They're really solid. Guys, if you haven't watched it, you should check it out. Um, because... I dare say it so far, but uh, this might be the best of the Star Wars Disney Plus series um, that we've gotten today. Even better than than some of the Mandalorians. So, yeah, you should definitely go check it out if you haven't seen it yet. I am ready to watch it. Have you checked out Stranger Things S4 yet? Uh, I watched the first episode tonight. We actually had to... Me and the second Mrs. First Run um, decided that we had to, like watch all the previous seasons because we couldn't really remember what happened so we binged through the first three seasons before we actually got to it so we just watched the first episode tonight how was that uh it was pretty good it was pretty solid there's a big D D component um in it which i am a huge Ooh, fan of yeah so i was pretty excited about that seems like it's much more of a downer and it seems like it's a lot scarier and a lot more disturbing so far which would make sense because every all the kids in it are now like 20 years old in real life so I don't think I would watch rewatch them all. I don't. I think I've got a pretty good handle on everything mm-hmm. that I would be okay starting just straight in. 
but I still got to watch Kenobi or Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. I will say, since I was traveling um, and we got stuck on our flight out to Connecticut, yeah. we were stuck on the tarmac for three hours before we even flew. We were on the tarmac longer than the length of the flight. Really? But I got to watch all seven episodes of Better Call Saul that I had not watched okay. yet. And uh, holy shit. Yeah. I mean, it starts off, you know, I don't know if treading water is the right term, but about halfway through around episode two or th- episode three, it's just a kick in the gear. And then the mid-season finale, which popped last week, insane. Yeah. Absolutely insane. Yeah. It, it is, again, I think the best show on television. So now I have to wait till July to get the second half of the season and see what happens next. I swear to God, if they kill off Kim Wexler, they can't, they can't. I can't imagine that Jimmy could be Saul, that is Saul he's in and better call Saul if she's dead. I just can't, it's not possible. So I'm confident she's okay. I just don't know if she goes, if she hires the vacuum salesman, goes in the witness protection right. or something. I don't know. So where are you on Saul? Have you watched that? Yeah, I haven't, uh, I haven't watched any of the new season yet, so. I'm way behind. Oof. All right. Well, I won't say anything more, but man, good stuff. All right, Matt. It's time to talk about what is described as the most violent and depraved zombie movie ever made. And that warning comes up like twice. First, it's on the Shutter homepage when right. you open, and then you start the movie. They actually have like a like a trigger warning message before the movie as it's starting that this is some serious sick ass Matt. And I guess we'll talk about if that's true. Hey! Yama! So, Matt, I didn't know that this is based on a, a comic series called Crossed. Did you have any idea about that? No, I did not know that. And it's written by Garth Ennis. Really? Who's one of the more the preeminent kind of adult graphic novel writers, yeah. right? He did a great run in Hellblazer. He did Preacher. The Boys. Um, bunch of other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. So, anyway, the sadness, Matt. We are in Taiwan. It's modern day, and there is a pandemic. There is some kind of illness all over the country. Mm-hmm. And then there is a mutation of that pandemic that makes its victims crazy, rabid, obsessed with death, but not just killing people, but depravity, right? There is a disturbing violent sexual assault component to this Mm -hmm. virus as well. Basically it makes, turns you into like the absolute worst aspects, I guess, of anything you could possibly be. Think of like, as Matt mentioned, the opening, the crazies, there's also some 28 days later Mm -hmm. stuff in here as well. I guess it's kind of, they treat it kind of like it, describe it like a rabies type infection. Right. right? So Matt, it's described as the most violent and depraved zombie movie ever made. Is that true? Um, Hmm. I don't know if I would call it the most violent and depraved zombie movie. Because one, I don't feel like this is a zombie movie because these 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 people have intelligence. Now, obviously, they're just kind of like raging id and they're just like, like you said, with the walking worst impulses that they have. But they have, they can speak. So they don't really seem like they're zombies to me, right? They, it's almost like everybody was turned into a serial killer, a spree killer kind of thing. And they just kind mm-hmm. of go out and do their thing. Um, as far as depraved, mm, so weirdly, I didn't feel shocked by a lot of the violence. Um, and I don't know if that's just me being completely desensitized or if it just kind of came off to me like, you know, somebody sitting around saying, okay, what's the most messed up thing we can think up, man? Like, and they just kind of throw it in there. Oh yeah. He's going to skull fuck this chick in her eyeball that he ripped out kind of thing. Like that stuff doesn't 
shock me. I don't wow. know why. Because, for it, huh? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it just, I don't know. It just seems, it just seems like, honestly, it just seems like something like a bunch of 15-year-olds sitting around trying to come up with the grossest thing they can come up with. Um, and that's what this movie seems like to me, as far as the kind of shock value of it all. I, I personally think like some of the things like Romero did with zombie films like Day of the Dead and things like that, I found those deaths, as few as they were, much more shocking and visceral than some of this stuff. I think that's fair, though I will say that that particular scene that you described, imagine just make it up, that actually happens in this film. <laughs> was i think i actually checked like a box of all right you hit the depraved part right. i think you've earned that title right there because i have never they've now thankfully you don't see it right all right it's it's refer, it's alluded to via camera movements and unfortunately sound right um but that really was for me was disturbing and unsettling and i will say that i was on the edge of my seat matt for most of this film. But by the time the movie ended, I realized that my apprehension was anticipatory. That it wasn't so much what was actually happening in the film. I felt a little let down by that. Right. Now again, that scene, sure, yes. <laughs> really unsettling. And I could have gone my whole life without hearing slash seeing that. Right. I really could have. But the rest of it, okay i mean i think i've seen other stuff more unsettling stuff and other films now i am not a chicken with this kind of stuff at all mm. if you listen to the show with any regularity you could describe me a bit as a i guess a gore hound if i may sure now i have not watched stuff like um a serbian film right nor will i uh, I just, there's certain levels I don't need to go. Mm -hmm. And that I think is like, I guess that's where I'm going to plant my flag is I will not watch that one. No, I know of it. Yeah. I know what happens in it. Right. I just don't need to see it. Mm -hmm. But for me, again, my fears and concerns, for lack of a better term for that, Matt, were anticipatory. I didn't get outside of that scene, the terror and depravity that I expected I was going to get. So in the end, the movie ends up being a slight little let down yeah. for me. And there are some other issues for it as well, though. Yeah. What about you? Were there any other things that you struggled with it? Not really. I think part of it is, is that, you know, it's got this reputation and obviously this thing was shot on a micro budget. So I think part of what kind of tempers a lot of that stuff is the fact that it's doesn't look particularly realistic. Like it seems very kind of, you know, the bride slashing up the crazy 88 with the blood spray and stuff like that. It seems kind of cartoony, right? Yeah. So that kind of takes away some of the kind of cringe factor of it. Um, and it all seems very, I know this is Taiwan, you know, this is Taiwanese, but it's got kind of like that, uh, Asian horror element to it, kind of a lot of jerky movements, kind of big smiles, stuff like that. Stuff that you've all seen before. Um, and then you kind of couple it with, you know, I really didn't give two shits about either of the protagonists. Um, I thought they kind of sucked, really. So I just, uh, I don't know. Like, I guess it's not saying anything new either. I mean, you know, the monster is us is the theme of every, you know, zombie movie. I just think... Whatever this thing was selling, it just um, it didn't really check a lot of those boxes. Although I will say, you know, the the uh, ocular hole fucking was was definitely a box that had to be checked. I think Ugh. that is where it gets it, it's at its absolute worst. Yeah, absolutely. I I will agree with you too. I think the core of the film, the reunification of our two leads, doesn't really matter yeah, at all. They have no it, chemistry. No. Well, outside, of, I don't even just that. I mean, it's. I think it doesn't matter. Yeah. I think it's a trope that we've seen a dozen times before, but serves only to get us from discussing mayhem set piece to the next unsettling encounter. Sure. That's the only reason why it's a connecting device more than it is a what a any anything that makes us actually care for right. what's happening for these characters. Sure. They're stand-ins for the devolving society around them. Right. right? That's all it is. And I just don't know how interesting a film that is right. in the end is part of my problem. It has ample amounts of blood and gore. 
And so that's certainly unhinged part of me, right? Was enthralled with that. I think it is unrelenting for a while, mm-hmm. but it's just that it also gets a little too cliched at times. And I feel in the end, I'm expecting this, you know, 100 foot drop at Six Flags, and I got this little quasi r- roller coaster ride. <laughs> wow, that is a deep Connecticut cut there, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? So I don't know. It it also has some toss away stuff about you know political conspiracy, particularly you know around COVID and pandemics. And right. There's just toxic masculinity nod on the subway attack, and how there is just unsettling kind of madness or de-evolution that seems to be infecting the entire planet right now. Right. And I think it kind of plays with that and plays that up. I think with you know, varying degrees of success. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end, I think I went in thinking I was going to see this ungodly nightmare of a film. And I saw a typical, not quite zombie zombie movie that goes for shock effect, nails it once. And then the rest of the time is kind of okay. Yeah. It's your zombie trope stuff. Yeah. I'm giving the sadness mat a B minus. I still think it's enough there for the horror fan there, but, um, it's just not the experience I anticipated we were going to get. Yeah, I'm going to give it a gentleman C. I don't think it really brings anything new to the genre. And I think uh, for your valuable, valuable time that's out there, there are much better choices. Hmm, fair. It's a good thing. I'm glad it was on uh, Shudder because mm-hmm. I had heard a lot of great things about it. Mm-hmm. And Diabolic, again, DVD, another plug. Feel free to advertise in the show. Um, had gotten their hands on a bunch of UHDs and yeah. special edition UHDs from... I don't know if it was Europe or Taiwan. Either way, I almost pulled the trigger and bought one. Oh, okay. Because I, I heard so many great things about this, I wanted to make sure I saw it. And yeah. as we all know, UHDs are region-free. But, um, yeah, no. I don't think I'll be revisiting this again. Yeah, me neither. So, what are your thoughts on the sadness? Have you had a chance to see it? Again, we said currently streaming on Shutter. Shoot us an email at feedback at the first run dot com. All right, Matt. It's a segment that you were really looking forward to, really uh, yeah. odd, uncomfortable, yeah. concerned. Yeah, I feel like this is gonna like. It seems weird to me to talk about. I had to really struggle to remember who even some of my really? crushes were. Yeah, I really that's don't. Interesting. I don't man. really feel like I fixated on people. You know. No, maybe that's <laughs> that's, a, that's maybe that's the difference. Is that you're much more well adjusted than I am. Maybe. maybe that's what the problem is. Maybe because mine. Came to me all within like 10 minutes. I already know it was not a problem at all. I know who your number one is. You think you do. We'll see. <laughs> but, uh, and then I, what I did too, just to be extra sure, yeah. I Googled uh, 80s crushes. Gotcha. And uh, I was good though. I didn't really need to add anybody to my list. So there was one person I added that I had forgotten okay. about. Either way, let's, uh, let's get rolling. I'm sorry about um, the other day. I must have it broke open to the wrong place. Oh, please. Well, I, I realized later what it must have looked like. <laughs> My life's just been a succession of jams over floozies of one kind or another. You forget how to treat a real lady. What do you say we forget about the whole thing? Start over, make friends. How about tonight? Wanna go for a ride? Hey, look. Um, I have to get back. I'll drive you. It's just walking distance. I'll walk you. So, Matt, that, of course, of course, is a clip from the aforementioned The Hot Spot featuring Jennifer Connelly and Don Johnson, released, I believe, in 1990. Uh, so Jennifer Connelly didn't quite make the list. An honorable mention for me, though. Okay. So I'll go first. I'll ease us into this since Matt <laughs> is so uncomfortable with this whole concept. My number five, I really sat with this. And I think this is true. Because I, I took a wide view of the word crush. Mm-hmm. Very wide view. Okay. And my number five is Bruce Willis. Because okay. I the man had such an impact on me. I was so it's 1986, 
and Moonlighting comes out. And I desperately want it to be David Addison's Bruce Willis character. Okay. I mean, that or reverse that, right? I mean, I I formulated so much of my personality around that man, at least that character. I bought his record, Return of Bruno, was wow. that, how, that uh, HBO special. Yeah. I still have it on CD. I had it on tape. Had on CD and I found it on vinyl about two years ago when I bought it. Okay. I have a second album as well. But if I expand my definition of the word crush, of just guy, somebody I was kind of almost like obsessed with, it had a real impact on me. Now I didn't have really any sexual awakening with me with Bruce Willis, sure. but who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but still, um, I really think I'm just thinking like who had an impact on my childhood? Right. You know my formative years as i'm discovering who i am as a young man and he's on that list he is so i said you know what i'm giving bruno my number five yeah see what's interesting say if we use that criteria weirdly i don't think i would focus on like an actor or actress but i would focus on the people like the characters they played like in roles like i was more connecting to okay like a fictional character than I would like the actor who played said character. But at the yep. same time, if we're going by eighties, I mean, I was 10 years old by 1989. So I'm more of a nineties kid from, I was a child in the eighties, but I was, you know, a preteen teenager, you know, young. Adults. Well, maybe we should have done nineties for you. Then. <laughs> maybe. Well, well, I feel, feel weird. You should, you know, well, I did. I put in some nineties. I, I just, All right. know, I had to because for the rules of the game, I just couldn't, uh, I couldn't not. Um, but my first then, I guess, is someone who I still, I still like to see pop up whenever she shows up. And mm-hmm. I'm talking about uh, the girl next door, Elizabeth Shue, kind of fell into Karate Kid um, and then went straight into Adventures of Babysitting. She just seemed like the cool, like older, like literal babysitter that you would want to come over and lead you on a fun adventure and i still like watching her um she was in the boys recently um i think it's the last thing i remember seeing her in and i really had a good time watching her in that i enjoyed her work so um and then of course you know there's leaving las vegas which is better left undiscussed for something that's much more depressing but she is a good actress i think she doesn't get as much uh, credit as she deserves Agreed. Yeah. I mean, she would she be the kind of babysitter like she'd only be a few years older than you and she'd come over and then maybe she'd like kiss you in like in the bathroom at some point, too. Uh, see, now, you're making, now you're making it weird. Now you're making it so weird. Please stop All right. My number four then is going to be um, maybe this actually hit me in the late 80s, early 90s. I would with the release of the just horrible horror film Doppelganger, but uh, Drew Barrymore. When she took her adult turn, and then she did Poison Ivy, I think after that or before. I'm not quite sure what the time events, the timeline of events there. But uh, yeah, I had a major crush on Drew Barrymore at that point, late 80s, early 90s, when she, you know, the, the Amy Fisher movie she did. I mean, all that stuff. Yeah. So my number four is Drew. So uh, still love you, Drew. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was never really, yeah, I never really connected with, with uh, Drew Barrymore. Now. Oh. Wait, she did. I remember too. Was I in end of high school, freshman year of college? I think it was high school. She did a tasteful nude shoot in a bikini magazine. Okay. I remember this. Because Kari Wurr, who's an honorable mention for me as well, did the same thing. Okay. Both of those were very relevatory moments for me. (laughs) Let me tell you. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. So then my number four. Uh, is moving into 90s territory. So this is the early 90s. The biggest show on TV mm. um, for us nerds is The X-Files. Redheaded Jillian Anderson, who was not the typical person who was going to play this. I think they initially wanted to get a very tall, leggy blonde. Instead, they got a very short, pale, redheaded woman. Um, and she just knocked it out of the park. And here's the thing about Jillian Anderson. She just kept getting better looking and better looking and better looking as she just uh, kept uh, getting older and older. Have you seen her in Hannibal? She is fantastic in Hannibal. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, I love Jillian Anderson as much as she shows up and stuff. I think she's uh, 
another one that I hope just keeps getting work because I just like watching her. She was actually the best part of American Gods, which is not a great series, but she is fantastic in it. Who does she play in that? Uh, she plays media. Is she one of the gods? Yeah, media. One of the modern gods, media. Fair enough. Uh, my number three, then, I think is probably the one that really started to crystallize my weird... Is it weird? Affection for short-haired brunettes. And that is Phoebe Cates. Okay. Who, uh, even now, even now, listen to me. What a <laughs> stupid, piggish thing to say. Still stunning. Yeah. She retired from acting. Um, she married Kevin Klein. They had a family. She decided she'd rather stay home and be a mother. Good for her. Um, but still, they, Fast Times at Ridgemont High scene. I mean, I, I didn't see it till much later, but it was still culturally... You know, in the ether, everybody yeah. knew it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Phoebe Cates is just one of the most beautiful people I think ever walked this planet. Mm-hmm. So she's my number three. Okay. Also, I'll just go back to Jillian Anderson in American Gods. She shows up dressed up as a Ziggy Stardust era Bowie at one point. Um, really? Yeah, she does. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Put it all together for Chris. Um, all right. So my number three then is just, I'm sorry. It's just kind of, this is where I get weird with this list. Um, uh, she's not a particularly good actress. She seems like she's a good person, but when I saw her the first time, I was like, who the hell is that? And even all of her movies is not good for the most part, um, but whatever. Uh, I, yeah, Jennifer Love Hewitt. I know that's such a weird one to pull out, but uh, when I saw her in Party of Five, I was like, man, that girl is incredibly attractive. And we'll just leave it at that because I don't think any of her work is particularly good. Fair. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> poor Jennifer. Poor Love, I think, as she went That's not how for she a while. Yeah. So mine's not so much an 80s one. This is more of a 90s one, I think, for me, before everything were, like, were finally kind of crystallized. And I think it's like the third time I've used that word today in this show. I got I to gotta stop that. And I think it probably locked into place with me with Reality Bites. And that's Winona Ryder. Um, just a, I think a wonderful actress. And I think that, uh, Lady Juan and I, we talk about the Alien Resurrection movie, oh, yeah. which is talk- better than we anticipated. Yeah. But <laughs> her and I are both kind of floored by the behind the scenes featurette, this interview with her. Yeah. And we, she looks luminous. I mean, she looks, I think, as good as she's ever looked right. in that. And just a stunning woman and a wonderful actress. And I was so happy to see her pop up in Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. I always uh, loved Winona, so she's my number two. So, yeah, my number two is an honorable mention for Chris. It's Jennifer Connelly, someone who I thought was shockingly pretty when I first saw her. I didn't think that the people that pretty should exist. Um, Like, so, (laughs) like, but, you know, and she's had a long storied career, and, you know, I always enjoy when she shows up and stuff, even if it's for smaller bit parts. And I'm always like, hey, that's Jennifer Connelly. You know, so uh, hopefully more things come out of uh, Maverick because, like we said earlier, she was quite good in it. Absolutely. All right, Matt. So who's my number one? Alyssa Milano. It is indeed. <laughs> yes. Uh, from Who's the Boss back in the day, the uh, awakening of a young Chris Scalzo uh, with Alyssa Milano in that show. And I, yeah, I fell in love with her from day one mm-hmm. of that show. Mm-hmm. I was like around the right. I think she's a year older than me. Maybe two. I think just a year. But still, I had, I mean, I had a poster of her on my wall in my bedroom. Just one, though. Just the one. Yeah. So she was like your Pharaoh? From Basically, like the, from yes. The, the she was. Yep. And then she did that movie Embrace of a Vampire, which blew my mind <laughs> at that tender age. And uh, yeah, so there you go. But Alyssa's my number one, Matt. Who was your favorite crush of your childhood? Weirdly enough, because this is a true childhood thing but i also had to go with Alyssa milano i mean the weird thing is when she was on who's the boss she's like this like uh you know tomboy character um and then she just kind of grew up into what she became and you know she's just kind of represents this kind of uh 80s uh you know for people of a certain age who grew up in that time she's just kind of like uh you're kind of crushed from afar kind of thing she just is um so that's what I had to go with as well. Yeah, I think too. 
I think that Sam is the sexiest name for a girl because of that show. You think so? Because that was her name, Samantha yeah. Sam. I think, yeah, yeah. yeah. I always kind of like those unisex names for girls. There's something <laughs> fun about that. Too. What was the mom's name on Who's the Boss? Angela? Was Angela? Was that it? It was Angela. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Angela. <laughs> this is creepy. All right. Any honorable mentions? Uh, Christy Swanson, the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer, mm-hmm. which led into me really liking that show. But for, Boy, she took a turn. Yeah. I mean, her beliefs. Her beliefs, not yeah. Her physical appearance. I mean, her. She does not seem like, like a nice person. Yeah. Kelly LeBrock from Weird Science was um, yep, yep. was one. And then finally, more now, because somehow she's prettier now than she was then, I think, is Jennifer Beals. That woman does not seem to age. She was mm. in Boba Fett, and she looked like she was still like 25 years old, and she's like in her mid-50s. Yeah, no, that's a great pick. I'd actually forgotten about her. Um, another one for me is, just bear with me, Stephanie Powers from Heart to Heart. Okay. I used to... <laughs> I was a big fan of her. You know, I, that I have to, I have to stop. When you said that, all I can think about is the. I was watching the uh, the greatest uh, event in television history. I watched all four of those back to back, and they did the heart to heart one, which was fantastic. I really wish they'd bring that. Mrs. Back. H, she's gorgeous. <laughs> uh, Kate Jackson as Sabrina from Charlie's Angels mm-hmm. was another formative one for me. Okay, and uh, Danica McKellar, Winnie from Wonder yeah. Years. And uh, what else we got here? Finally, I get Mia Sarah. That was the one I'd forgotten. Okay. It was Mia Sarah. Gotcha. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, yeah. Legend. So, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Time Cop, I believe. There you go, folks. Please don't send us any emails on this. I, I don't want to hear yeah. about it. Yeah. Don't call the police. None yeah. of that stuff. No. Don't cancel us on Twitter. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, uh, Next week on The Big Show, man, I guess we're going to be discussing Crimes of the Future, the latest Cronenberg film. Mm-hmm. And then I think I want to try and see Watch or Watcher. Watcher, Bunky. yeah. Or Watching. Watcher. Watcher. Something, watching. yes. The one with Mika, Micah Monroe. Yeah. Um, we also had uh, RRR on the list. So I'm not sure if we're going to do that next week or the week after. I don't know. We'll get to see how it plans out. Okay. Or plays out. Depends on how you look at it. In the meantime, you can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Do a search for the first run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually you'll find us. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a review. It'll help other people find the show. Head over to thefirstrun.com. You can find the uh, ratings for the episodes and archive of every episode we've ever pushed out. And this, Matt, is, what, 609? So there's a lot of stuff to uh, dig through. You can search for movies mm-hmm. as well, whatever you want to do. Hey, what were their thoughts on, Yeah, I don't know, Drive? If there's a movie that's come out in the last like, 10, 12 years, we've probably talked about it. Yeah, yeah. there you go. So uh, that's going to be it this week. So why don't you go ahead and take care of yourselves. We love you very much, and we will see you soon. Lana. 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 Lana! What? (laughs) Danger zone.